0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com.
1: Hey, hey, and welcome back to on the Call. Today's guest is Baby Got Back Talk, who released their debut full-length genre reveal party last year, making a clear statement of who they are as people and as a band. With a sound that falls in line with early 2000s pop punk faves, but lyrics that are very much of the present, there's a lot to lash on for both old and new music fans alike. We talked all about the album, writing politically charged lyrics that you hope don't stay relevant, DIY ethics, and more. You're in for a treat. that kind of like really stands out to me about baby got back talk is kind of like i feel like you're musically nostalgic but lyrically very like future forward uh, can you talk a little bit about that and kind of like balancing those two sides of things
0: yeah that's i would say that's a really good way to put it um it seems kind of like we have a really clear sense uh as a band of sort of the kind of band we would have liked to have grown up with right And maybe in some ways, we're sort of embodying um, the the sort of voice in the scene that we felt was uh, conspicuously absent when we were first getting exposed to punk music, to DIY culture, to alternative rock more broadly. And so in terms of when we sit down to write songs, I think some of those classic influences are always pretty close to the surface, you know, which is not to say we don't. We're not also influenced by contemporary punk bands. Of course, uh, we are, including a lot of really rad bands in our local scene. But, you know, uh, I guess a lot of the bands we would think about as turn of the century kind of pop punk touchstones, uh, or even in my case, sort of like 90s Fat Wreck or Epitaph uh, staples, those are, you know, very, um, they're kind of like a bedrock of the sound. But in terms of, the lyrics, um, in terms of the social issues we try to draw attention to outside of performing. Um, I wouldn't say those bands are our models. I would say that our compass is is more related to our awareness of how the politics of some of those bands left a lot to be desired. Uh, and, and hopefully that's an area where we can improve upon the recipe.
1: I'm curious, kind of like now that you're a little bit like further removed from like those kinds of bands, just as far as like, you know, the changes in life since the time that, you know, you were necessarily like starting to get into that kind of stuff. How is your relationship with the, with those bands kind of changed over the years? Uh,
2: I mean, I definitely act to some of the like lyrics and just be like, Oh my goodness. What was like, this was about this. Or like, I just can't believe I didn't see a problem with it. But I mean, it's not all, there's like also some bands that you like listen back and you're kind of like, this was ahead of its time.
1: I don't know, I feel like genre reveal party kind of, it felt like you were putting kind of like a flag down, like not just about your sound, but kind of like what you are about and kind of like a culmination of your work as a band this far and kind of like, you know, it being like a debut album seemed like it kind of like played big importance. Can you talk a little bit about uh, that kind of side of things?
3: What I think was really telling about like kind of uh, the music that we obviously music that we kind of see or sounding is that we wanted to kind of establish ourselves very distinctly. Like there really isn't, there really isn't many, there aren't many bands that are represented, you know, people of color. Um, it's, we just wanted to make a very, we want to be at this point forward and then use the previous experience we've had like both in our lives and then even just like in the process of making the last couple of weeks and really just establish like this is what We're gonna do, we want to be apologetic about it, want to be kind of been a very driving force with each other. Um, and we chose the full, I mean, full length, album to make a really full statement, like, listen to all of our everything and our like ap- absolute best, and like indulge in it and like really take time to hear it.
1: Yeah, and I mean, uh, with it kind of like being the culmination of like two or so years' work,
3: uh,
1: how was it kind of like? having it be kind of, you know, not the ideal kind of rollout that you would expect with, like, playing record release shows and touring and stuff? How did that kind of, like, feel?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's something, it's, it's a great question. Um, it's something that we converse about internally a whole lot. Obviously, as you alluded to, we planned to release John and Reveal Party a good two years before it came into the world. Um, and obviously the projection that we made in 2018 about what that might look like, uh, was very different than the landscape we were facing at the time that the album finally uh, was released. So our reasoning was kind of that obviously it was a very uncertain time. Uh, I'm not so sure this is that significantly less uncertain this moment, <laughs> but I think things were more uncertain in maybe May of 2020. Um, and we felt really aware that um, a lot of the people in the community that have supported us uh, were like all of us, uh, in a precarious place, having a vulnerable moment, and that it might actually uh, provide a really necessary form of sustenance for the people that have supported us to have something new and exciting to listen to, to look forward to, to engage with. And uh, I don't know, you want to call it providential, you want to call it uh, prescience on our part, I don't know, but it kind of turns out a lot of the themes in the album uh, happen to speak to the moment, that we released it. So um, even though that wasn't you know, completely our intention in a lot of ways, uh, we think that that kind of banner statement that, that you talked about on um, the genre reveal party is making came into the world um, at a fortuitous time. And, and hopefully, you know, continues to galvanize people who are feeling uh, particularly low or, you know, uh, isolated um you know as we navigate this pandemic and i think (laughs) by the time we can like play a proper like stage a genre reveal party in person you know we probably will be on the album number two or at least a follow-up ep but um i think this is an important chapter of our story and an important chapter in, in pop music and uh we we're grateful to have planted the flag at
1: that moment I had listened to it previously, but I was listening to it again earlier. The uh, episode you did, the second one you did with uh, Angry Girl Music of indie rock persuasion.
0: Shout out to Amanda. Uh, she's awesome and has supported us for a long time, and is a really capable and forward-thinking music impresario.
1: For sure. Yeah. I mean, when I was starting this podcast, like her podcast was one of the ones that I wanted as like in influence about the way I did things, and like it's I, I'm very intentional with like you know making sure that. I'm, you know, giving the mic to a wide variety of guests and stuff. And but yeah, I mean, I guess you were kind of talking about how a lot of the themes on the album kind of were very fitting for the way it was released. And I'm curious how you kind of saw people connect with it versus, you know, the the previous EPs.
3: Well, what I find really interesting is that with this particular album, we were very deliberate in trying to kind of broaden our sound and make ourselves a little more not I want to say accessible but just kind of like broaden how we presented ourselves and I think that because we were so like you said strong in what we wanted to discuss and um call to attention people really resonated with that also it sounds good um Mm -hmm. like the music but um what I find really distinct when people talk about like one of our pieces like I actually recently saw a comment on YouTube that was just like why isn't this I think it was on when we, when they go low, we go six feet under, um, which I think about often, like whenever I watch the music video, I always well up. But when the comment basically said like, I'm very upset that this, that this isn't more, like no one's seeing this. And I'm like, oh no. But it's that, but I've also like, not oh no, like why would you say that? But oh no, like, oh, like I appreciate that. And it's very, like, I feel that frustration because I empathize. But it's also like, oh, it's really kind of hitting people where it should be hit, I see. And I've, it's emp- I don't, empowering and it's also kind of, it like motivates uh, me in particular. And I'm, sure I, I'm sure my other colleagues can relate, but it's really just like pushes me to be like, all right. So people, it's resonating with people and it's not like we're very underhanded in where we're putting all these messages. So, and if they're feeling this strongly about it, then it's positive.
2: To to like Jira's point about the some of the, like the subject matter being like oppression, I mean obviously no one like foresaw the the pandemic happening, but I think like when like, a lot of the themes on the, the album are not even necessarily things that like we like foresaw coming out of nowhere, but like when they go low is a great example of something that has you know been it's like an issue that's been ongoing for like decades or if not longer. And, I mean, it's, like, it's something that, obviously, like, we all care about, and, uh, I mean, I don't think, like, we didn't expect it to, like, go, it became, like, this huge, like, global movement in the way it did, but, I mean, it's, I guess it was, uh, in a way, fortuitous that some of, like, the current events melded with the things that we wanted to talk about and speak about, and I guess, I mean, part of it is, I think I'm just like proud to be in a band that is able to like I guess move the needle in a like very small small way um, on things like that and like have this discussion with the community
1: with a song like when they go low you know being about like police brutality and stuff I'm curious you know as the movement continues to you know stay kind of in people's minds and stuff how how's your relationship to that song in particular or uh, your music in general how is that kind of like has your relationship to it changed
0: you know i I think one thing that's interesting is and i don't i'm actually interested rihanna jake if you have this experience as well but it always once a song is out in the world uh i sort of forget that it came from us as weird as this is to say and i almost feel like i can see it from a third party perspective where i'm like oh That's, you know, like, it's almost like I'm discovering it completely anew. And, you know, to be frank, like we, um, we wrote specifically when they go low, we go 16 under, I think in like late, uh, 2018 and then recorded it in 2019. And we collaborated with the African-American policy forum on a music video that highlighted the say her name movement, which, um, you might look at as you, you could be tempted to look at that movement as a subset Uh, of a larger anti-racist, anti-police brutality movement, but uh, it's distinct from that larger movement in the respect that it specifically emphasizes and amplifies the stories of black women killed by police. And so we got involved, we collaborated with AAPF to make that video at that time, not really necessarily anticipating that there would be such a groundswell of support a year later. But uh, when, the, when the same song was on our album a year later and people were in the street for months, even during a pandemic, um, partially motivated by George Floyd, partially motivated by Breonna Taylor, um, I, I kind of would like watch our video and, and it sort of blew my mind that it was like the moment I was in in the present and the thinking we had in 2019 were so conversant with one another. It was almost like, man, this felt really pertinent and urgent then uh, and it feels kind of staggeringly so now, um, which I guess is a normal thing for like a listener to say and a weird thing for someone who helped to create it to say, but that is how it feels. Yeah, I've mentioned like in amongst
2: like the band, you know, we've like talked about this, but for, for me it's like the, when you make like songs that are like protest art, It's always, you know, you, like, want people to vibe with them, but you don't necessarily want them to, like, stay relevant in the same way. It's, like, this weird kind of bittersweet feeling, but, I mean, it's it still feels good to be able to, like, hopefully be having, like, an effect, an impact.
3: I mean, to Jiro's point, I I feel that way sometimes, but what also gets to me in, in maybe, like, a way that's kind of frustrated is just, like, how like you said, like relevant, everything still seems today. And now how it's so much more amplified and it's just, while I'm glad again, like it's, you know, part of it and still relevant, but it's still like frustrating. Like, why, why does it have to be still relevant? Like, it's very upsetting and it hurts my heart. And it's funny when you were saying that I felt when you were juror was speaking, my whole body just started to get tense and I'm just like, oh my God, he's right. Like, it's really serious. And it's, I don't want to, it's like bittersweet, kind of, to know that. Yeah, it's, it's, like, one of those things where it's,
1: like, it's good to have that release and be able to, you know, have your, use your platform for, you know, the betterment of things, but it's also, like, it would be nice to be able to just write, you know, uh, a vapid pop song. <laughs> hey, we have some of those, too. We do have some
2: vapid pop songs as well,
1: though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, so how do you kind of, like, balance those those two sides of the band, the, the more serious and the the more easy going. I think,
2: I mean, part of it is just, like, when we're songwriting, I think we try and be very conscious about things that we've done, like, already and to, like, shake things up a bit. Um, and, yeah, that, that's, like, with, ly- or with music as well as lyrics, just, like, well, like call-out tropes that we've used before and intentionally try to subvert them.
0: I mean, a lot of it, I think, comes down to the relationships that we have with each other, like, the the topics and ideas that are going on on John Reveal Party are like all things that would be on the menu if the three of us were hanging out, right? Our conversation might touch any sort of subject um, that comes up on the record, and so we feel like it's true to who we are and true to what we're like off stage um, to incorporate themes that can be both kind of earth shaking in their seriousness, and then. I guess, you know, also laughable in their playfulness because uh, we kind of swing from both those poles uh, just as people.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned earlier how like, you'll likely be on to new music before you are even able to play a release show. And we've kind of hit on how the genre reveal party process was a long one. I'm curious how your writing process has changed for the newer stuff you've been working on compared to a genre reveal party. <laughs> Oh yeah, right, that's a whole other level of it, too.
3: It's, it's really interesting. I mean, what I feel like has been something that I make um, is because we need to do everything remote granular about how we do it. So uh, I feel like in terms of our writing, it's always, it's just very specific. And we really try and find ways to, even though we're not physically there, like, still be analytical about how we're playing, what kind of rhythms we're putting together, what we've done before, what we've not done before. Obviously a lot of like recording and sending back to each other, and reviewing and going over and so on. Um, But it's also just navigate, it's also interesting because we're navigating a open field of possibility. Like there's nothing, never been anything like this before. And what does this landscape look like? It's just like, so that's been interesting. But I also think that because of the new push in trying to keep people remote and do things more technologically, it opens up like different avenues that could be both, you know, beneficial and, uh, not beneficial. I don't know what the other
1: person <laughs> of Detrimental, I guess. Thank
3: you. <laughs> <laughs> you the podcast.
0: Um, it does seem like, um, well, some of the topics, uh, that have come up while writing new stuff seem r- really, uh, resonant with the current moment. Like it, you know, there's certain things you're going to think about more, Right. So many, like I have a running joke, I'm teaching uh, undergrad on Zoom right now, and I have a running joke with my students about how I miss sulking, how like sulking is not an activity that can really translate digitally because to effectively sulk, you really have to, your words and your body language really need to be at odds. And the person that's around you needs to like pick up viscerally on the fact that you are upset, but also not talking about it. And, you know, obviously sulking's not actually, I don't know. It's like a weird thing to be nostalgic about, <laughs> but, but it's a joke we have because uh, I don't know. It's, I think it's important to remind them of like the unique uh, discursive situation that we have, right? Where we, we're still, we can connect in certain ways, but we're very limited and there are aspects of our communication that we once took for granted that we absolutely cannot simulate. Um, I think because we're having experiences like that uh, some of the lyrics on the new stuff are sort of engaging with that and like what does it mean to sort of um, long for human connection and then also realize that the only mediums available to really facilitate it are not actually that great at facilitating it. Uh, You could definitely make a case that that's like a overarching Baby Got Backtalk theme in general, but it seems like it's coming up a little bit more often with the new stuff.
1: And like, as far as sonically as like the push to, you know, isolation and electronic communication, has that like changed anything as far as, you know, the way things are progressing?
2: Uh, I mean, it definitely involves like a lot more back and forth and and intention because it's, you know, you're not really in the, there's no way to really be in like the same place and just kind of like jam together um, like you could before. So I think that you know, I guess communication kind of becomes much more important and like being able to like articulate exactly what you mean, uh, because you can't just kind of like, you know, both pick up a guitar or like a guitar and a violin and like start jamming on a riff together and like figuring it out that way i think rihanna said something about intentionality and that kind of matches that definitely matches how i feel
1: yeah and i mean i guess we haven't mentioned that violin plays a key role in maybe Got back talk um and i feel like it kind of almost adds like an urgency to the music and kind of like pushes it forward in a way that you know bands not many bands do i'm curious if you could talk a little bit about like the role the violin plays and you know, also kind of how the writing process with that works or differs from bands you've played in in the past?
3: Um, So bands i play played with in the past have been, so I don't know if that really is equatable. Like, um, I tease. Would you say the um, writing
2: process is different between us and an orchestra? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I ain't writing shit in an orchestra, which is why I didn't like orchestra. So I really enjoyed the ability to kind of branch out with a violin. Um, feedback I get a lot, which kind of hurts my heart, is that when people see a violin they actually they're like oh like why is it like stuck up so it's like really nice to kind of take something that's not usually um in like a punk genre uh, maybe once at the same time it's just really good to be able to be representative in terms of the writing process that is of course you have to be granular about it like i said earlier and you all it's a constant thing of worrying about whether you're putting with guitar, do you do something else? Do you put more violin? And what I really respect about writing with Jake is that we're very deliberate about where the violin goes where because it's, you can get tired of it very <laughs> Maybe I just do. Um, so.
2: Yeah, I think for like our first instinct was to just be like, okay, we have one guitar, we have one violin. Let's just like use the violin as a second guitar. And it kind of, It kind of took like a long road to like figuring out like maybe you can't just substitute one for the other in that way. Maybe we do have to be a little bit more deliberate about when and where and how we like put this texture, or this instrument.
1: Another thing you mentioned on Angry Girl that kind of really interested me was talking about kind of like the distribution of the parts you each play and kind of like making sure everyone has their moment to shine. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that um, and like the mindset behind it.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a constant negotiation. Um, I always feel like since I, well, it's, I mean, we all have different roles in it, but the angle I come at it from is like, I kind of play the dumbest instrument and I know that. So like, we don't really want to hear like in a rock song, um, the bass player going full Matt Freeman from Rancid, like all the time. Um, and I say that, With Love, you know, I grew up on Rancid. I love them. I really admire Matt Freeman. I probably wouldn't play bass if it weren't for him. But I think the kind of band we are, I'm like, nah, I probably can't. I probably need to pick my spots, right? And one of my motivations for picking my spots uh, is that I really admire Jake and Rihanna as players and as songwriters. And so I'm never, it's never like this giant sacrifice. I'm not being like particularly generous by being like, hey, maybe this part should be like primarily a guitar part or primarily a violin part. And I'll just play root notes or like play a really simple walking line, you know. Um I think what they bring instrumentally is such a key uh component of the appeal of this band that like featuring them in alternating fashion feels intuitive. It's not like a a big like um I don't have any internal struggle about it. But Um, At the same time, there's a tension in the respect that the three of us are kind of all maximalists. Uh, Don't tell my bandmates that I said it. (laughs) And so the the issue of balance with us is, is less about like, oh, everyone wants to be the star and more just like someone will come up with an idea and go like, that's so cool. And then another person will be like, what if we play this on top of your cool idea? And then the third person's like, those are both really good ideas. Also, here's a harmony on top of that.
3: <laughs> That's like yeah, where we, uh, it's where we the have problem. to restrain ourselves. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that is the
2: constant struggle in Baby Got Back talk is how to not do that.
1: And, and like, what point in the process does that kind of get pared down? Um, ideally, as early as possible. I mean, the wor- some, we, there's been times when we've been like,
2: li- like actually like in the studio and we'll realize, like, oh crap, this sounds like a just like a mess, and you can't tell what's going on. Um, but we try. I mean, we we do try and be like cognizant of it at like every step. Um, you know, we're like aware of it, but uh, you know, sometimes it, things like slip through to the very end. But <laughs> it's a you know, it's a it's an ongoing process.
1: <laughs> and I mean, I guess kind of like going off the po- the idea of like people each of you having your moments to shine I'm curious what are like what are some of your favorite moments on the record whether they're yours or your bandmates
3: oh man I'm trying I particularly like I'm going to use space jam because there's two parts I particularly really enjoy the baseline in space jam and I like the way we throw it like we're like right before it goes into that that part I know I'm not doing it right um pretty good I me mean, I mean, I mean. <laughs> yeah, but that part, and I like it because on the recording, it's very it like it's this really nice build up, throw everyone back into it, just appreciate those. And I think that that went so point on live stream shows, and especially when we do it live. Um, it, you can like almost juice it out. Does that make sense? I'm this the way I'm seeing it is like, it's one of those moments where you can learn, like, oh, this is it, and it builds that anticipation, and that's like. Intoxicating for me because then you're just really connecting with people, on. and I like that part. I, one part among that I also if <laughs> <laughs> I do say so myself, but
2: one of my favorite parts is the violin in uh, the chorus of "Anywhere But Here." I think there's like this one that's like there's like this part at the very end for good do 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 do, and it's not like a Key change, but it is like I don't even know the word to describe it. It's like kind of like a mood change, but it always like struck me as this like really awesome. Like this is gonna sound weird, but it's like this really awesome like elevator music type feel. Like it's just like totally. That's kind of like which is what I like thought of it in my head, which is maybe only makes sense to me. But it, it it's like to me, I like hear that and like when it gets to that part, it's just like not at all what I would would like expect to hear and just, I don't know, puts a smile on my face every time. You good, Rihanna.
3: I, and now I hear about it, I'm just like, I, I think I know what you, I don't I know what you mean, but I could, I could be active. <laughs> 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 I sound so full of myself. I'm really not. Usually I'm like, I know, I can't even speak to that, can I?
1: <laughs> we'll be
0: the judge of that. No, uh, I'm surprised no one picked um, the bridge in, in wildism. That's one of my favorite moments, um just because, well, there's a lot of things, but uh, there's like a moment in composition that I like to call, yeah, that, right? And it's when you're like, I have something that's like 75% good and I can imagine what needs to slot into that last 25%, uh, but I haven't actually composed it. I just, I can sort of imagine it. And so that was like a really cool uh, part that we figured out in the studio where I was like, okay, we need to fill this space it's like 15 seconds uh it needs to be a little bit um dramatic it needs to be uh spacious uh we probably want like a cool sort of uh emo twinkle guitar part but like also a soaring violin and then i'm using all these words and then like jake tracks that guitar part and rihanna throws that violin on top of it and then it's like oh yeah that that's it it's like i didn't uh Know that exactly, but at the same time, as soon as you hear it, you know it's like the missing piece.
2: Yeah, we came, we got, we came into the studio with like a totally different bridge, like written, and if that it prob, if that hadn't come together so easily, it probably just like never would have been, you know, it wouldn't, it would have sounded nothing like that.
1: And is that like does that tend to happen a lot, like finishing things up in the studio, or do you tend to be more of the kind of band that's like we have it pretty much done to the signs. <laughs> uh.
2: I, I guess both we do we do spend a lot of time writing in the studio but we do we you know try to have like things demoed out and like different versions and have like messed around with things beforehand um so yeah a little of both
1: uh, and then I also kind of wanted to hit on like the the kind of like headline in your band camp is like DIY because we gotta uh, I'm curious just how that kind of mentality uh like what role that plays in the band and the way you uh, conduct yourselves
3: it truly is like a band that we really have been like literally making ourselves like I don't know if you've seen like I've we've done raffles where I've literally made the keychains myself and hand drawn like it's and I think what's really important about that's I mean obviously that's not the whole thing but like <laughs> the fact that we're kind of doing everything ourselves from handling mer- like obviously writing creating me finding our producer promoting ourselves working with like booking our own shows and um, getting merch, putting up, making the merch, designing the merch, and then having someone market it. It's like, it's, we're not, it's not anyone we hired. It's literally us and maybe like my mom or something, <laughs> or Jira's sister, which is, or, or even Jake's pants. Like, it's really just like such a grassroots effort. And what's so important about that, I think, is just that, even with all this work, like we can still, we still want to show like we, you know, just by our talent like what we have to say is important enough. And I think that the DIY aspect makes us, I don't want to say like, it makes it like relatable uh, because we're here, we have, we're part of like a community of um, other DIY bands. And because of that, it's like more of a, what's the word? There's like a deeper camaraderie with that. And then it's, like a lot of the stuff it's like it's more personal when you do it yourself i guess
2: yeah i think for i mean for a lot of this stuff it is like doing it ourselves doing things ourselves is like there's like aspects that we also enjoy like we're not we're not just in a band because we like enjoy we like making music there's like other you know like jira writes his lyrics he has like a book coming out it's you know it's Uh, I, like, I have been doing like illustration and drawing for a long time. And like, I made a couple of shirts for us. So it's, I guess I'm trying to say that like, we, you know, these like other aspects, these other things that we do are like also things that we enjoy and we like, you know, it's, it's also art that we like making. Uh, it's not just like, oh, I guess we have to figure out a t-shirt now somehow. It's just like, you know, but like, it's the process is fun for that as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's like super important to kind of have. Cause I mean, they, I've kind of heard before, like DIY isn't necessarily do it yourself. It's like decide it yourself and like kind of, you know, pick the things that you want to do and figure out what, you know, where you can get help from other people. Um, I'm curious, just like, I mean, I don't think it's like a bad thing to be like, Oh, we want to be successful as a band. So I'm just curious, like, how, how do you see that kind of like fitting in as you continue to grow and, you know, get better presumably (laughs) it makes me think about
0: um man where did i hear this oh yeah so the dude from less than jake uh chris demakes he has Uh, on my
1: podcast network (laughs) yeah
0: okay that's that's rad uh he does an episode with ryan key from yellow card where they talk about um what they're really doing is breaking down yellow cards most popular song like from a compositional standpoint But then Ryan Key, of course, revisits the recording process and he talks about, you know, how they were on a major label. It was the early 2000s. They went to some, like, you know, cabin in the mountains or something, someplace really beautiful. They had a giant budget. I can't remember exactly what the figure was, but I want to say they had somewhere in the ballpark of 300K (laughs) as a budget to make this record. And obviously it's an iconic pop punk record that changed the game in a lot of ways, Ocean Avenue. And I just thought about, like, what a temporal marker it is that a pop punk band had that kind of budget to make a 12 song rock record, which people don't even really like listen to anymore, like a full rock record at one. And it made me think about like, it was sort of like where you learn what you're doing by contrast, right? Because we're no less um, committed in terms of passion, in terms of ambition to what we're doing now in 2021, than you know, those dudes were in 2003 but we're more like a mom and pop pop punk band. Like we're making records <laughs> That's from our a new own
1: genre, mom and pop punk. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. There's no, we have no expectation of a 300K budget to do anything ever, uh, but we're going to- We gonna wouldn't stop. say no. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't, we wouldn't. But we're going to get after it just as hard and we're going to have just as much fun with it. And in fact, the fact that we don't have a budget like that- um, I think contributes to the sense of urgency that people can feel in the music.
1: And um, I mean, the way I kind of like wrap up every episode is by asking for a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about lately, whether it's music or life in general, just kind of whatever you uh, has been on your mind and you want to share.
0: It's a good one.
2: I don't think I've ever been asked for advice on a podcast or in an interview.
1: What do I even know? <laughs> Who am I to... Getting philosophical with us now. <laughs> All right.
3: I'll, 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 I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. So something that I've been kind of like dwelling on late is just kind of how very unexpected things are and how have you have absolutely no control over anything. <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and it's horrifying yeah. and it's really uncomfortable and... Maybe for the right person, it's really fun, but you just need to learn how to deal with and be good to yourself while you're doing that because there's nothing you can do about it. But that's okay. It's like, okay, it's not like a good thing or a bad thing. It just is. And just get through it and you're going to be fine. You need ice cream it's all the time. Just eat good food too.
0: ai am going to piggyback on what Rihanna said in the sense that uh, I think recognizing what you can and can't control is... And difficult, but worth it. But I also recommend, on top of doing that, uh, and shout out to Kimberly Crenshaw who gave me this line: "Roll with the posse. Whatever you're doing, you can you can distribute the burden in a more manageable, sustainable way if you have good people with you. And you know that's one reason why uh, we're a band and not uh, a series of solo acts.
3: <laughs>
0: For that reason, roll with the posse."
2: What, like whatever you're whatever you're st- stressing about now time will make it melt away eventually I don't know <laughs> I, yeah I'm yeah I'm feeling kind of anxious lately and it's been it's probably I'm just like remind myself that like in six months will this really matter like what actually you know budget you're worrying <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that's especially pertinent uh, these days. <laughs> awesome. And, I mean, is there anything that we haven't hit on that you've been like really wanting to get out or any uh, big things coming up that, we, uh, that I might have missed? I would just
0: advise if you're interested uh, in Baby Got Back talk, keep an eye on our Instagram. We have some exciting developments uh, planned for the next couple of months that we've begun dropping some hints about. Uh, stick around and
1: and see them materialize Woop woop! another awesome episode is at its end but it's just the beginning for baby got back talk so be sure to follow them on instagram at baby got back talk for those teasers they mentioned and go give genre reveal party a listen I really think you'll dig it flying the call is brought to you by sound talent media a special thank you as always to the alternative for up promote the show kaylin west of tiny seals for the theme song and michaela jane palermo for the artwork you can also keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at flyinthecallpod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at flyinthecallpod at gmail.com. Keep on rockin'. Fly the call. Welcome